Welcome to season one of the Beacon of Hope podcast with Jesse Kretzer, your host, bringing hope and encouragement to nine to five rebels. Having raised two career musicians, building her own business, and teaching others to do the same, Jesse is intimately familiar with the behind the scenes grit needed to go after your passion. And life experience has taught her this there are a lot of things you can live without. Hope is not one of them. And now, here's your host, 9 to 5 Rebel herself, Jessie Kretzer. Welcome to the season one of the Beacon of Hope podcast. Every week, I interview a 9 to 5 Rebel about their journey in an effort to bring practical advice and tips for the other 9 to 5 Rebels out there. So today, my guest is Derek Kretzer. Derek is a passionate, committed career musician. Most people know him today as the banjo player, singer, songwriter for the Plate Scrapers. He also does solo gigs, duo gigs, trio gigs across several genres. He's traveled the globe and he's traveled the country. And he'll share some of those experiences with you. He started in middle school on the talent show stage. He then went to the stage of the jazz band, and there's been some other stages he'll share with us about. I don't want to steal too much of his thunder in his show, but I am his mom, so i got to brag a little bit about him. Derek earned a presidential scholarship to attend the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, where he was a music major. And so let's just hear from Derek. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting, and it's going to be inspiring to those of you that are in the music industry, and you want to be a nine-to-five rebel. So, Derek, tell us a little bit about how this whole journey started. All right. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, where did it start? I guess it all started when I saved up some money mowing mowing lawns and whatnot to buy a, buy a guitar from the local pawn shop and um, got got started with some lessons and just playing at school, playing with friends and whatnot, and just really enjoyed it. So I just kept doing it. Well, I have to kind of share a little backstory for the fun of it as we go through here. So, you know, you had parents that wouldn't buy you a guitar. You had to earn your own money to go to the pawn shop to get that guitar. And I have to tell them the reason why was because we were not going to allow you to have music lessons because we had decided that Brett, was taking the guitar lessons and this was going to be Brett's own thing rather than always being in big brother's shadow, whether it was snowboarding or soccer or skateboarding, this was going to be Brett's thing, not Derek's thing. But when you went and took your money and bought a guitar, that was the point where we had to say, okay, we better just kind of hang that thought up and let him have lessons. And then it just kind of kept going from there. So tell us, because I know, I saw by middle school that this was just more than a little hobby. I saw you walk away from soccer. I saw you just develop this, um, I call it a fire in your belly, really passionate about music. Can you describe that? Like, do you remember that? Or is that just something my mom sees? Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't thinking back, I don't, I don't think it was my 
top priority, like thinking like, oh, I'm going to make a living or this is what I'm going to go to college for. Even in middle school, I didn't even know if that was an option kind of, but um, it was more just like uh, finding friends. I had a good buddy, um, Kyle and and Dustin, I remember specifically as the first kind of incarnation of like actually getting to play music with people, not just like making noise in the bedroom with the amp turned up really loud or, or whatever. And, and that being super fun and just going to concerts and, and seeing people playing music and just really thinking that that was really cool. And, um, you know, I, I like to do a lot of other things in, in high school, skateboarding and, and, and doing other stuff. But I think as, as that, progressed and has after a couple injuries i was like oh maybe maybe music is slightly safer well it is safer but it's a lot of people would say selecting it as a career is riskier and so that's kind of why you're here today to kind of encourage those that want to go this direction or encourage those that are going this direction and they're just maybe not feeling like they're there yet um so tell us a little bit about your first stage your second stage the different genres that you kind of navigate it through tell us a little bit about that part of the journey um well kind of the first uh first approach was probably the kind of uh punk oriented stuff and rock and roll just kind of like electric guitar stuff and then kind of got into a um a little bit of jazz in high school with the jazz band and kind of quickly learned that if I did want to go to college for music that having to do it either in the jazz, uh, you know, a, a jazz degree or a classical t degree was really the only kind of two options. And obviously the jazz kind of uh, appealed a little bit more just because it was an ele electric guitar and, and whatnot for other reasons too. But so I mean, then, then I decided to, you know, take it take it seriously. Had lessons and whatnot, and then really didn't play that much. I feel like in high school, like we played, you know, local shows at the Grange Hall and like the the Ruiten and like played at church and stuff. But um, not really like looking back, it doesn't doesn't seem like I played like all these gigs like on different stages. Although I got to do a lot though with the uh, with the jazz band at school that that was probably the the biggest kind of um push to be on on a stage whether it be at like uh you know all county jazz band or even the talent shows and stuff where you're actually you know on stage and and feeling like you're um you know a performer of sorts and and kind of getting into that that role which was which was was fun um yeah and then uh go ahead well, I was just going to say, it seems like a, a really career musician is what I'm going to call it here as this nine to five rebel. In the beginning, the last thing that comes across your mind is how am I going to make money at this? I think the first thing that I see is that you want to be able to perform at a level that you feel comfortable, that you can be on the stage because the quality is good enough. And I really think you might want to give a shout out to somebody um, as, that was not just a music teacher, but was a mentor in high school because I saw more happening than just being in the jazz band there at Smithsburg High School with Gary Rupert being your instructor, um, your music teacher. Any thoughts on that? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was, he was probably uh, one of the first people I felt like him and him and Maurice, I was taking lessons with Maurice Arenas and Frederick at, in, in high school as well, who um, I guess Mr. Rupert would have been, I don't know. I, I can't remember who, if I took lessons before jazz band, I think it was, it was, it was pretty close to about the same time. Cause I remember going to jazz band and being like, Oh man, I really don't know what the heck I'm doing. I need someone to help me out here. Cause I was playing power chords. I was just doing, you know, uh, you know, more rock and roll approach. And then Mr. Rupert kind of definitely pushed me to kind of pursue it at a more, um, I don't know what you would say, um, you know, learning theory, learning, learning kind of the, the mechanisms behind music and not just kind of maybe just messing around with it and uh, in a more hobby type way, you know, really kind of studying it. And, uh, and that was, that was really awesome. That, that definitely got me hooked. I feel like on the, it being a potential career. Um, I, th- I think those were still in the early phases of, I wasn't really thinking about like making money. How am I going to do that? Cause I mean, even, even after college and in, in playing in um, the first uh, a band called lady cop, where I got to do some traveling and, and actually touring. Um, I was living in Brooklyn, New York at the time, even then I was uh, working a full-time job and not by any means making enough money playing music to even buy groceries or something that that also being a big part of just being in Brooklyn, New York and being an expensive place to live anyway. But, but I was, I was not really, I I really haven't even been in the, in the um, area of making a living, so to speak, or, or, you know, doing, making money playing music till really in the past, you know, um, six to eight years really. And, and that kind of started, Starting with that really just being more teaching and doing private lessons and stuff and making making money that way um it's really been more just recently with the plate scrapers and taking on a more um serious approach with booking and 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 the more business aspects of things in the music that i've really you know started to see the potential and see the um you know with a lot with hard work of course but being able to make um a decent living doing that um with other stuff still on the side and just you know a variety it's it's a it's a variety of incomes with music it's not like one one thing you know you learn how to do a lot of different things to kind of be as um, malleable as you can and kind of give yourself as many opportunities right well let's um let's un- unwrap some of the backstory of Derek leaving Hagerstown after being in Philadelphia at the University of the Arts, you come back to Hagerstown and you take the initiative to find an ad on Craigslist, if I remember correctly, of a band that was looking for a guitar player and you reached out to them. And I'll let you tell the rest of that story, how that unfolded, that you got the position, then how you ended up being able to get a job to be able to work in Brooklyn while you were not making money in the beginning with Lady Cop to go out to plan to go out on this tour. So why don't you share how that kind of unfolded? Um, well, yeah, it kind of, I came home from college um, and kind of was planning on taking the next step, whether that be playing 
music or whatever i remember actually one one uh for a while there i was looking at going uh and hiking the appalachian trail and going to school as like uh like a uh what do they call it like a forest ranger or something yeah yeah i remember really being into that um but then i was like i think i was really eager to travel and to um play music more seriously because after being at college you're you're seriously studying um but you're not really playing at least I wasn't playing out I didn't have like a group that I was playing with there'd be like recitals and stuff at the school but really the whole time I was like man I want to be in a band and travel and play shows and kind of um you know have a project maybe um so that was that kind of started me with trying to find uh a band and I actually was looking on Craigslist on the musician ads and uh, looking at different cities, like looking at stuff in Philadelphia, looking at stuff in New York or North Carolina, all over really. And um, I found a band that I thought sounded cool. I liked the style, I liked the group and they were looking for, I believe the ad said looking for a guitar player to tour Europe. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool um and it's kind of sounds like a scam i don't know is this a craigslist scam so i like you know got in touch with them and actually ended up driving from maryland up to new york to audition with them um multiple times actually went up came back went up again came back and after a while heard back from and they said hey we really like you you know i think you'd be a good fit this and that Um, we'd like to offer you the position so to speak in the band and i was like oh great cool and then they basically said, well, yeah, if you want to do it, you're going to have to move to Brooklyn. And I was like, um, all right, I guess I'll do that now. So um, ended up just moving there with my girlfriend at the time and and kind of trying to make it work. I was I was lucky to have um, uh, family and friends um, that had started a, a skateboard company up there. So I had a little bit of an in with the potential to um have a job when i went up there which is something i think that was that was really beneficial and and lucky just from the from that standpoint so that allowed me to pretty much have a job when i moved up there because you know the band was was um was playing gigs but you know not very often and we weren't really making that much money for it to be you know a full-time gig and and many musicians in new york i think are in the same same boat you know unless you're some big artist that's making a ton a ton of money but um you know we prepared for the tour so that was a big part of the you know getting ready there and i think i only lived there for a handful of months before we ended up going to europe for like six weeks um so that was kind of one of the first kind of really uh adventures um you know full-on tour going to Europe for I think the first time um and then just you know kind of going from there we did some other tours around the U.S. after that I think we played together for maybe about two two and a half um two and a half years or so um and we did we did a bunch of stuff and that was that was really cool it was a fun time well I remember some details about that time and I want to say that um, actually one of the other nine to five rebels that I'm going to be interviewing is Ryan Daltridge, the founder of Bustin' Boards, who is also related to us. And you were able to work for him. You were screen printing the, the long boards, which is pretty yep. cool. And, you know, it's interesting how sometimes the stars are just lining up that kind of opens the doors that gives you the opportunities to go in the direction that your heart is trying to lead you anyways. 
And I remember, um, I want to backtrack a second here on the whole subject of mentors, because when you're going out into business for yourself, you have got to be strong-minded and you have to be surrounded with people that believe in you and believe in what you're going after. And I remember, you know, you had to earn the right to get the position to be in Lady Cop. You had to earn, actually, do you remember the interview with um, with Arise, uh, Maurice Arenas in Frederick? He only took the cream of the crop students. And we went for an interview for you to even earn the right to be one of his students. And if I remember he asked you some really tough questions that were music theory related. He didn't beat around the bush. He was finding out if you're the real deal right away. And if it weren't for the fact that you were encouraged to study music theory with Gary Rupert at the high school, you probably would not have gotten on with Maurice. And the way I see it, Maurice actually groomed you and prepared you for the door that opened at the University of the Arts when you earned the presidential scholarship. He said, I know how to get you ready for college. Now, you had to prove to him that you would work hard and that you would, you're, you're a music teacher, so now you really see this from both seats, but he made you do push-ups if you, he was also a karate teacher, so I know he said you would do push-ups if you didn't practice or do what your lesson assignment was from week to week. So you were earning the right a lot along the way. The thing I want to say about Lady Cop is that you traveled in a veggie bus across the United States for five months in a um, do-it-yourself tour. You know, there wasn't an agent, there wasn't a manager. And, you know, the goal, and here is a theme. I want everybody as a nine-to-five rebel to hear this. The theme is you weren't necessarily going out on that five-month tour to come back rich. You would have loved to be discovered, of course. That's always what, you know, musicians looking for their next break. But you were looking to go out and have the experience and get the exposure and come back not being in debt. Like, I remember um, uh, the leader of the band, help me with his name, Cliff. Cliff Cliff Rawson. Um, You know, laying out the budget and everything. And the big deal was you came back and you were not in debt. So, and, yeah. and I know you have, you have planned tour after tour for the plate scrapers. And a lot of times I know what people don't see behind the scenes that you're looking at what the costs are, the gas, how much you're going to be paid some gigs. It's about what you're getting paid some gigs. It's about the exposure. And so there's so many things that go behind the scenes that I want people to, to have an opportunity to understand. So that's just a couple of the things that I wanted to point out in that regard. So um, anything in particular that's on your mind that you want to share that I missed, Derek, and fill in those dots before I um, shoot my next question? Well, on, yeah, on that little on that little note, definitely a shout out to Cliff. Um, I think during the the time that I was playing with them, I was, you know, I was I was I was looking for the adventure of touring and going and traveling cool places and like now having a band and doing all the work that cliff did 
for lady cop back in the day when I was playing in that band. And I was just kind of this hired gun essentially. And, you know, get on the bus. I did a lot of driving on the bus. It was a full size school bus and we drove all the way around the country essentially. And, you know, it ran on vegetable oil. So we're, we're, you know, lugging vegetable oil out of dumpsters after shows behind, behind venues. And I mean, just getting super, super disgustingly dirty and just and but still having a ton of fun and it was a super awesome experience and i've actually gone on to i currently own a van that runs on vegetable oil i'm trying to sell it if anyone's interested call me up um but uh anyway that but just i have a lot of respect for cliff now after um that i'm in my own group and doing all the booking and and all that stuff it's just such a huge job just for even like a two-week tour and we were out on the road for six months literally booking shows as we were going essentially he was a lot of times like it's not like we left on day one and had all the shows booked and knew exactly where we were going because a tour that long six months i mean you can't it's hard to book stuff out that far. A lot of venues are doing three months or, or so some, some venues do a lot, you know, book out further, but you know, you're, you're going and just kind of figuring it out and sending emails and, 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 you know, trying to do the best you can. And he did a really great job back when I was with them and, and uh, definitely is a source of inspiration um, currently that, you know, when I'm going out trying to book shows and, and do tours and do, do fun stuff with the band, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from seeing how he did it and, and, um, you know, I shout out to Cliff. That's all I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I saw that experience with Lady Cop as part of your education. And I would say that if you look at what you do now, and how you arrange these tours and you book your own gigs and, you know, you're the manager, you're the agent, you're, you know, you name it, you're, you're wearing a lot of different hats mm -hmm. and the education that you got just all along the way, including those six months when you were out on the road touring in a bus, I think was truly an education that prepared you for what you're doing today. And you know, not everybody can live out of a backpack and travel light. And I know when I went to Europe with you and Brett for two weeks, I was determined I was not going to be the um, the weakest link because I packed too heavy. And so we packed light, um, but we but you take your instrument everywhere you go. I want to tell people this, these boys, Derek and Brett Kretzer and most musicians, I don't know. Is that just common Derek with all musicians that everywhere you go, you take your instrument. Well, that's, I mean, I think a lot of musicians travel with their instruments. Um, you know, that's part of the re reason why you pack light because you're carrying around big instruments. You got to make the trade off or then you're really lugging around a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of musicians travel with their instruments. I think it being in the acoustic music realm now and more of, uh, you know, acoustic guitars, banjos, mandolin, stuff like that, necessarily uh, electric guitars and stuff you plug in. I feel like that lends itself to being able to travel and, you know, uh, collaborate with musicians that you find on the road or, or pick up gigs you know might come up that you know you get offered a gig and you're out traveling somewhere and you don't not want to have your instrument with you well I remember not only did you practice every day in the hotel room for 14 days 
but you also got the opportunity in Germany to do some busking right on the streets. And not everybody knows what busking means, Derek, but do you remember how much you made? Yeah. Uh, No, I don't remember. I mean, it was probably enough to go out and, uh, you know, have a couple beers at the, at the bar that evening or, or put it towards a dinner or something. You'd be surprised. A lot of there's a lot of street musicians, especially all around Europe, that 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 is their job. I mean, it, a lot of people in the U.S. they see someone playing music on the street in front of a building, and they think, you know, oh, there must be homeless and poor or something like that. <laughs> I think it has a little bit of a different, uh, uh, you know, social stigma a little bit in in the U.S. Whereas in Europe, man, you go over there and you see all kinds of art going on on the streets whether it be like guys that are dressed up to look like they're copper uh statues or musicians classical musicians jazz musicians bluegrass folk musicians all kinds of art all all going on in the streets and and a lot of them you have to have permits and auditions to be able to play in some of these cities on the street so i mean it's it's um and in a lot of places you think about new york i mean what is the a lot of people go to new york i remember going to new york city as a kid like oh let's go see the street performers and the performers that are in the subways and like that was that's a big thing and same in like new orleans they have a lot of street performers there and 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 some cities they have it but um you know, it's you can make a lot of money doing that, especially if you're out there for eight hours a day. Absolutely. Well, Derek, we're going to go to break. And right after the break, we're going to get into the different avenues of making money and what a practice week, what a practice day, what a practice schedule looks like. And just a little bit more of how what the behind the scenes looks like with your life these days. So we'll be right back. This is your host, Jesse Kretzer. If you're like me and you have an entrepreneurial spirit that just won't quit, you're in the right place. Whether you've made the leap to call yourself the boss yet or not, your spirit will be fueled by the experiences and the advice of each one of my guests. Now back to today's episode. We are back with my guest, Derek Kretzer, and I'm looking forward to getting into the second half here, Derek. But first, before we do, let me thank you. Let me thank you for being my podcast consultant. You know, I remember when you were, uh, have been a podcast junkie for a number of years now, and you would always tell me about how great podcasts are. And I remember what you said when I published my book, Meditations by the Sea, back in 2014. I can remember you saying, oh, you should get on some podcasts and talk about your book. And I didn't at the time, but here I am and things change. So you were planting seeds for me and I thank you for that. And then when I decided that it made sense now that I'm writing the book, Encouragement for the 9 to 5 Rebel, that I would get a lot of my content through interviewing and why not bring that valuable content to people before the book comes out through podcasting. So you would not hear of me having anything but the right equipment. So thank you for making sure that I had the right equipment so that we have good audio behind the scenes. You're doing my editing. I thank you for that. And the coolest thing is that you wrote my bumper music. So I, um, and every season, I bet you we're going to have different bumper music, right? Oh yeah. 
So thank you, thank you, thank you, my son. So um, the next thing I want to share, you know, let's get into understanding what a day in the life looks like, right? So I remember when we were in Hard Rock Cafe, Riviera Maya, traveling together, the three of us, you, Derek, you, you and Brett and I, and we were taking a break. Again, you brought your instruments. And I remember we were sitting at the coffee shop and talking to some of the other um, Arbanites, or Arbanites, I call them, my, my friends in crime. And I said something like, oh, yeah, introduced my sons. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they've been working here on vacation more than me. And usually I'm the one that gets in trouble for working on vacation. And she's like, oh, really? Like, what does a musician do where they're working on vacation? That just, I felt like it was the question that people ask someone that's a preacher. Like, what do you do on Monday? Well, you know, maybe we don't just work one day a week. And a musician doesn't just work when they're performing or they're in the studio working on an album. So tell us what a day in the life looks like um, when you're planning gigs and teaching music and all the things that you do. Give us an idea what that looks like. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a full-time job. That's definitely no joke. Um, I think that, it uh it's a lot of different things really it you know some days it's um you know preparing for shows that are coming up whether it's writing a set list or um practicing some songs maybe that i don't i'm not as familiar with or working on memorizing lyrics or writing new material those are the more fun things uh sometimes for work but a lot of a lot of my days is uh you know the morning getting up and doing doing work on the internet doing emails getting in touch with venues setting up shows looking at our calendar um you know sending back whether it be tax forms or signing contracts and and you know keeping everyone's schedule um together and like today um i'm playing a gig this evening uh as a trio you know outside of the plate scrapers so actually after i'm done this podcast i'm gonna go in and uh, do a little rehearsal with um with one of the people that are is playing with me tonight and um you know i have a duo gig tomorrow with brett my brother um and uh you know had to make facebook events for those during the day making graphics on um you know canva or different different things to uh promote throughout the week the stuff that's coming up so i mean it's a little bit of everything i kind of bounce around i might be you know i'd I like doing different things all the time. So one day it might be more sitting down and doing emails and research uh, venues for a couple hours. And then it's, you know, stop that and practice for a little bit or, you know, it's, it's, it's bouncing around a lot, make some graphics, make some calls, you know. Well, you're describing what I think most of us nine to five rebels love. We love that every day is not exactly the same. We have, flexibility to work on this for a while and then work on that for a while. But at the same time, we have to have self-discipline and we have to have some amount of structure. You begin to kind of say, oh, Mondays are this, I'm working on this. Tuesdays, I'm working on that. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, but it's not so tightly structured that you can't change it every now and then, which is what a nine to five hero lives more in that they thrive on structure. We don't thrive on structure, but we need to have some. 
So I want to know how you keep yourself staying the course, staying inspired to practice and create new content. Um, how do you do that? Yeah, it's, it can be tricky from time to time. Um, it's, it's kind of, of, I think playing gigs for me and, and playing music with other people and keeping that changing, you know, whether it be playing duo gigs or even solo gigs where I use my loop station, um, and just learning, learning new material and practicing and then playing shows that, you know, you have a lot of fun at, you know, all that, all that time spent before any given show, there's all this, you know, how much time went into booking the show, how much time went into planning the show, how much time went into promoting the show, how much time went into showing up early and setting up PA equipment and, you know, writing set lists and all this work. And it finally kind of comes down to, you know, the gig that gets played at the end of the day, whatever that day may be. And, you know, sometimes the gigs aren't that great, or maybe that many people didn't show up. And then sometimes you'll have a gig that was just an awesome turnout and the band played great. And it was just a really awesome experience for everybody that was there. And, you know, those are always the things that kind of keep you going. If there was a lot of really negative experiences, I'd probably go do something else, you know, or, but I, I still continue to have fun with it and be inspired and write new material and just practice learning old songs, learning new songs. I mean, there's just an unending, you know, world of stuff to do with music. So I find that that in itself is, is, you know, inspiring. Well, and I go to a lot of gigs, uh, hashtag proud band mom. And I try to be the number one fan, but I have a lot of competition with your other fans that keeps telling me that they're the number one. But the fun thing about a gig is not always just the music, which is obviously the main event, but the dynamics around it, the how the audience um, responds to your music. I know a lot of times, like I remember in D.C. not too long ago, I think it was like January 3rd. What was the name of that place, Derek? where you uh, played union union stage union stage so at union stage it's like everything was clicking the audience was just pouring back to you guys on stage as much as you were pouring out they were so into it the acoustics were good the sound was good the place was packed um and i got to interact with some brand new fans some fans that i didn't know that had traveled pretty good distance on a Friday night to come into DC to follow you all. Um, and then I got to hang out with the favorite fans, you know? Uh, so there's all of that. I know that you have a lot of friendships with other musicians and friendships with your fans. Is that part of what keeps you going and loving it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like, like all of my friends and, and close people that are around me that I know through festivals or, you know, just going to gigs or hanging out. Like they're all the people that I would be hanging out with anyway. And the fact that a lot of them come to our shows is, is, is really great. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times we'll say, Oh, our fans, but honestly, it feels like our fans are really just our friends. Like we have, we know a lot of, it seems like I know a lot of people just through that. And those are some of my, you know, closest friends now after the, you know, years upon years of 
of traveling and, and also getting to go to like new places. Like we go down to North Carolina a lot and, and go up to um, New York and Vermont and now having friends and musicians from other bands up there that we play with and just, just having, you know, um, all those, all those people to go and visit and hang out with. It's just a really, it's really fun, you know, and it takes, it makes all the hard work and all the long hours of driving and all the other million things that have to be done to keep the, keep the train going. It makes it feel a lot more worth it, especially for, for me, even though that, you know, sometimes I can definitely get into that mindset of like, Oh my God, I got to sit down for four hours today and write emails. And basically, you know, a lot of this work that I'm doing, I'm not getting paid, you know, I don't get paid per hour to sit and sit in the living room and send email upon email, half of which, you know, a lot of times don't even get answered. And, you know, I'm not getting paid to make Facebook events and post on social media and do all these things. Like, so it's, it's easy to sometimes get discouraged at, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just stuff that has to get done and someone's got to do it. And, you're either going to do it yourself or pay someone to do it. And I've always been kind of the type of person that wants to learn how to do it themselves. And once I do, it's like, well, I know how to do it. So let's just do it and get it done. Well, and obviously you can't do everything. A very nine to five thing. Well, yeah, you can't do everything and do it well. So there's got to be some things that you can figure out and you do it yourself because it makes sense economically. And then there, you get to a point where you can start to pay people to do some of the things that just begins to make sense. It's, you know, it's a journey that, you know, you go on as you make more income. So can we talk a little bit about maybe some favorites? Do you have a favorite genre that you like to play or a favorite genre that you like to listen to? I mean, I think it would be bluegrass, but I know you're, you're so diverse and you got so many other interests with music that I'm probably, there's probably a lot more to unpack there. Yeah. I mean, I go through phases just like I think all musicians and and just music lovers in general kind of wrestle with, you know, sometimes I'll be listening to a bunch of bluegrass stuff. And then the next day I might be listening to more like indie rock or, you know, uh, you know, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. I, I generally, I would say I'm in the acoustic music realm, you know, whether that be kind of Americana or bluegrass old time, or like the new, a lot of new bands in the, in the bluegrass scene. And, and part of that, why I got a, I listen to a lot of that stuff is cause I, 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 I like to know what's going on in the scene and what is going on in the music world and what other people are doing. And I mean, it's just like any other business, you got to know the business that you're in. And if you don't know, you know, what the fans are, uh, you know, being attracted to right now, or, you know, it's not like it's a competition or anything, but you definitely need to know the, the realm in which you're conducting business and making art and trying to appeal to the right people and, and, and uh, keeping your fan base interested and keeping all of those things together. So I like to listen to all ki- kinds of music. And honestly, I like to, I teach lessons so much and, and do, uh, I teach lessons three days a week and then playing gigs sometimes two to three days a week as well. So sometimes <laughs> I don't even like to listen to music. That's what you're saying. I, 
I listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I spend so much time in the car and I listen to a lot of podcasts on different subjects, whether it be the music business or, um, you know, weird true crime story podcasts or inspirational stuff or conspiracy theories or, you know, all, all kinds of stuff just to, and a lot of times it ends up being kind of inspiration for the music. Anyway, you know, you learn about a new concept or you hear a cool story and you want to write a song about it. And, you know, that's, it's, it all kind of comes back around in a way. Well, I know you write some pretty amazing lyrics. You are a great songwriter and some it's it is true that um when you go through hard stuff in life that's a lot of times when you're writing lyrics and other times you're writing about other people but you know there's a lot to be said and maybe some of what you hear in your podcast uh like ancient mysteries maybe <laughs> comes through in some of mm -hmm. the songs that you write um i was blown away when i was interviewing a uh, fine artist ali detilio and she is an amazing artist painting these skyscrapes and she inlays um, gold leaf. And I asked her, what do you listen to when you're making these amazing pieces of art? And she said, well, pod I like to listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm doing these, you know, paintings. And I thought, sure, she was going to tell me she's listening to classical music. So she informed me it's not quite that romantic. And and I think that's part yeah. of what you're saying. So I encourage people to listen, check her out on her podcast as well. But um, well, tell us what a, what a week looks like. You, you kind of gave us an idea that you teach three days a week. I know there's more than one place that you have to, more than one stream of income is typical for a musician who wants to do what they love for a living and make a living at doing this. So multiple streams of income and what does your week look like? Yeah, I mean, typical week for me is, you know, I teach lessons Monday through Wednesday. So a lot of the, and I typically don't start teaching till the afternoon hours um, and then into the evening. So a lot of that morning and early afternoon, a lot of times I'll get up and kind of go through the emails and, and do quick responses and, and, and keep all that stuff from piling up. Um, and then, you know, go and teach lessons, um, which I really love doing. Um, I love, I, I'm currently teaching guitar, mandolin, banjo and bass right now, um, which is another big thing helping me stay up and keeping my chops up on all of my instruments is that, you know, I'm literally playing those instruments all throughout the day, <laughs> three days in a three days in a row for eight, eight hour blocks, you know, so, and, and constantly working on different material for students of mine. So I'm, even though I'm not playing rock and roll, maybe, you know, out right now, or I'm not playing jazz or I'm not playing funk, I'm mainly performing as a bluegrass old time, you know, country music original music but you know I, i'm playing gypsy jazz stuff with mandolin students during the week i'm playing funk bass with with some bass students i'm playing you know johnny cash and and uh you know guns and roses with students so i'm i'm playing constantly all kinds of stuff being in hearing different music learning it by ear you know just keeping my ears fresh and and all that stuff so that's a big help with just being a musician in general um, is teaching lessons because it really does keep you sharp on on a lot of the stuff that you're doing 
Um, and then middle of the week, I'm usually trying to prepare for whatever gigs are coming up on uh, that coming weekend. So that's, you know, posting online, inviting friends, you know, getting posters made if that's a thing that needs to be done for the gig, uh, working on what material is going to be played, contacting the people that are playing the gig, letting them know what time to be there, blah, 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 all the details and, you know, getting all that stuff straight. Um, and then, you know, when the weekend comes, that's that's where we're making the bread and butter, getting out there getting to the gigs um on time setting up and and playing the shows and doing the best we can um you know and and every week is a variety of shows you know i might be playing with the plate scrapers one weekend we might be going on a four-day run to north carolina so obviously a week like that there's a lot more preparation as to you know are do we have to line up airbnbs where are we going to stay are we going to be camping is it summer you know, all of these details on the, on the road, what time do we need to leave? How far is it between this venue to that venue? All this information and all this stuff has to be kind of fairly figured out beforehand. And then, um, you know, given to all the people that are, that are a part of it. Maybe we have a sound guy that needs stage plots, you know, there, you know, do we have merchandise? Is it ordered in the uh, merch box? Are we all good to go on that? So typically that stuff you you try to get done during the week those are usually like my wednesdays and thursdays and then you know friday saturday sunday we're typically out out playing gigs so it doesn't leave many uh many days off really mm-hmm. well i always say a nine to five rebels are not afraid to work hard they just want to work doing what they love and they want to always be growing so tell us a little bit you've painted a great picture for us to understand that there's a whole lot that goes into this, Derek. So thank you for that. I want to hear a little bit about your goals personally and your goals looking ahead for the plate scrapers. Yeah. Um, Well, right now we're kind of really deep into a recording process that we've been kind of doing for almost over a year now. And that that is going to be coming to a finish here pretty shortly within the next month. So I'm pretty excited about that to finally get a lot of these songs properly recorded and a new studio album out, which we haven't released for like three years. So um, that's a big, that's been a big job over the winter um, and plate scrapers have a really good um, schedule coming up for the summer with some, some great festivals, some local stuff, some, some stuff far, far away. And um, I also have, I've been trying to develop, put a little bit more time into my solo stuff and um, whether that, those be solo shows that I'm playing by myself or um, or uh, duo and trio gigs that I've been playing around, which I've been, do- I've been uh, doing a little bit more of that this year. And I have plans to develop that a little bit more, maybe do a recording of my own for that stuff, which, which will be a fun project. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep going with the plate scrapers and kind of, keeping the same track we've been we've been on playing trying to play the best shows we can and trying to you know perform as best we can and and keep getting better and and uh, see where it goes so tell our listeners how they can reach you or how they can find out where the plate scrapers are playing where you're doing your solo gigs how do they tap into the know of information here um well, for the plate scrapers, we have theplatescrapers.com. That's with 
the in front of it, theplatescrapers.com. And we have a bunch of, we have, uh, you know, our tour dates on there that's get that stays updated and, and some videos and whatnot. And you can, you can subscribe to our mailing list on the website, which is a good way to keep up with us. We send an email out the beginning of every month to tell you where we're going to be and what, what new is happening. And sometimes we have some special offers and whatnot. So that's a good way to keep track of the plate scrapers. Obviously we have an, uh, an Instagram and Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash the plate scrapers and Instagram is just at the plate scrapers. So all that stuff is pretty easy to find out there and, you know, event pages on Facebook. And then um, for my solo stuff, I recently just started a new Facebook page for that. That's um, Derek Kretzer music. Um, you can find me there and also on Instagram at Derek Kretzer. And I put some, all the stuff that I will be doing kind of outside of the plate scrapers usually gets posted um, there on the Facebook page or, or on uh, Instagram. Well, I'll be sure to put all of that in the show notes for our listeners. And I want you to, I'm going to help you, but I want you to fill in the blanks. If I miss anything, I want us to make it very clear how people support musicians like yourself, because I don't think any of us want to imagine the world without musicians. Even if we don't want to be one, we don't want to imagine the world without one. So we need to support them. So obviously, if they love your music, follow you on Facebook, make sure to like your page. Same thing on Instagram, same thing on Spotify, these places where you see their music. They don't get paid very much when you buy their music, when you stream it from or um, download it, an album from Spotify. But I know that um, bigger agents and people, managers, they'll look at how many followers you have on Spotify and things like that. And when you're at a local gig or a gig anywhere and you love what you hear, remember that you're helping to keep them going and to let them know you love what they're doing when you buy a CD, when you buy merch, um, that does help them a lot. So any, how else can people support a musician that they want to seek, be able to continue and, and grow? Yeah, I think this um, would go for musicians or artists or anyone that's in the kind of creative, creative field where they're creating something and, um, and it, it it is tricky because the world of the music business world has definitely changed even just in the little bit of time that I've been exposed to it from being a kid and now being um you know in in the business a little bit more I'm I'm by no means any kind of I'm I'm still learning a lot about the music business to this day and and hope to learn more but um yeah, going going to bands shows is a huge thing. Buying their merch, buying it from them directly, putting some money in those tip jars. You see them out there all the time. You know, you're going to go to a bar, you're going to go anywhere and you don't even think twice about tipping a bartender for pouring you one drink, you know, but it, but then you'll sit there and listen to a band for 3 hours and 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 not even tip someone. You know, that's you know, think about things like that, that those chip jars go a long way and that's cash. That's easy money for musicians and they will appreciate it greatly. Um, so that, um, obviously sharing and, and sharing their stuff on Facebook, sharing their events, you know, just little posts about it because we're, we're DIY. We don't have, and a lot of bands and a lot of artists don't have management and, 
groups behind them and big budgets to do all these ads that you see on Facebook and, and take out, you know, all these promotional aspects. So we're doing that all on our own. And a lot of these smaller artists, it, you know, just a little bit of help, whether it be liking their page or sharing their page or commenting here and there that all that stuff definitely helps. And same with Spotify and whatnot. And also, um, you know, uh, merchandise is a good is a good way as well and you know there a lot of bands are starting to do kind of patreon um those we don't have one of those set up specifically for our band but um you know if there's if there are those other options that bands or artists are going to to try to monetize their um you know their their fan base and their um their group you know help them out and, and try to partake even if it's just a little bit here and there I mean, we've learned from all the Kickstarter and the GoFundMe and all, all these kind of crowdsourcing things that a lot of bands do and a lot of, well, not even just bands, but, you know, a little bit from a lot of people goes a long way. And so like, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, what's, what's $5 if I give them $5, that's not going to do it. Look, there's five guys in the band. What I'm giving them all $1. Well, yes, $5 doesn't do too much on its own, but you know, if you have, you know, we have over what i don't even know what it is right now but four thousand or something likes on facebook or people that follow our page well four thousand people if they all gave you five bucks that that could go you know a long way for for a band so you know just little little bits here and there and you know all the all of that all of that is 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 a big help to people in in the artist and uh musician world i wish there was a better way you know it's like I feel like that is a, something that we need to figure out a little bit more because I think that people do understand the value if they think about it, but it's easy to not think about it because a lot of people are in the in the mindset of thinking about musicians or um, artists as, oh, well, they're just doing that because they love to do it. And, and I'm sure they're making money doing something else, or it's easy to think of it as like a hobby because for a lot of people it is, but not for everyone. And, you know, understanding that it is a job and there's an insane amount of work that goes on behind the scenes that is not fun. That is not like cool. That is not, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting on the internet uh, sending emails for three hours a day every day, but you know, it has to be done. So realizing that there is a lot of work that gets done behind the scenes and, you know, paying, paying what you, what you feel that that's, that's worth and thinking about those things is important. I know that I, I'm, I'm a musician and whenever I go to shows, when I'm seeing other bands or seeing people performing on the street or, or, or whatever, if I appreciate what they're doing, I'm, I'm going to show them the best that I can and whatever I can afford, you know, whether that's put a 20 in the tip jar or, or, you know, buy their CDs. Like I was just at a, um, a banjo players, um, a show up at the purple fiddle of a banjo player. I really like. His name's Danny Barnes. And, um, you know, I listen to his stuff on Spotify all the time. I'm listening to, he's one of my probably top, played artists on my Spotify. And when I was at the show, I saw, I went up to him and I was like, Hey man, I really, really love your playing this and that, you know? And you know, what, what kind of merch do you have? I like, I was the first thing I was like, what do you have for sale? Like, what, how can I give you my money <laughs> essentially, you know? And he had two comic books that he hand drew and he had one CD that he was selling. 
And the CD was a CD I listened to all the time on Spotify. I've listened to it over and over and over on Spotify. And I bought that CD from him, a physical copy, even though I didn't need to. He didn't, you know, I can listen to that CD every day for zero dollars. Well, I pay for Spotify, you know, my membership there. But but I bought that because that was a way for me to hand him cash. And I bought both of the comic books, even though, you know, comic books are cool. And it was kind of like an artsy memento of, of the show. But I didn't go up to him hoping I could buy a comic book that he drew, even though it was pretty cool. So I bought both of the ones he had and the, and the CD that he had. And I would have bought a T-shirt if he had it, you know, even if I didn't like per se the design, you know, just to like support them and put money in their hand and talk to them and say thank you. Like that's that's what as artists and musicians, that's what we love. Like that little bit of time knowing that, Oh, you know, this person really digs what we're doing and it's not for nothing and they appreciate it and they want to buy, you know, whatever piece of, of merch you might have. Well, I think that we have found the place where we can change the world, Derek. If we can educate people how to support musicians, which is part of what we're doing here. And I really think that, such a time as this that we're living in with all of this social media really is, is an asset more than it's a liability. I can remember when you first got into the world of music and you were talking about how the music industry is, you know, the big musicians that make it are with these big agents or they're born into it or they're manufactured music and it's really not talent. And you really didn't want any parts of that. You want it to be grassroots and so you've been grassroots, but then the way social media provides us an opportunity to, to advertise and share and spread the word, it's making and breaking businesses nowadays. If you're not doing a good job and you're a coffee shop, all of a sudden you're out of business. I know I interviewed Canon Coffee owners, Chris and uh, Lindsay Reese, and they are having great success in downtown Hagerstown in a, a downtown that's not thriving, in a block that's under construction and has horrible parking, and they are thriving. And he said, if it weren't for our followers on social media, helping us get the word out there, and the fact that we've been able to build a community around what we're offering, there's no way we could have success with our dream with this coffee shop. And so if we can help people understand how Facebook and Instagram and Spotify and being at a uh, live event and how to support people, how we can participate in that in such a way that it helps you all do what you love for a living, I think we can kind of change the world. And you know, if there's anything I want to do, I want to change the world a little bit for better. So um, I think this has been really, really helpful. So now you get the two questions that I use to end every podcast for the nine to five rebel. And the first one is this, you're going to speak to two different nine to five rebels. And in your case, let's just say they're musicians. This is a musician that um, right now they're in a nine to five job, but they cannot quiet that fire in their belly to pursue their dream and take that first step to begin to transition to make money in the field of music so that in time they can maybe leave their nine to five. How would you encourage them to make that first step and begin that transition? Well, um, if we're talking about a performance 
type musician that wants to be playing music because we have to remember that music like you know you could be a musician that's just wants to record songs in your bedroom for tv and film and stuff like that and there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for that kind of stuff but as far as like if you want to be playing music out i would say hone your craft while you are making money uh, at your normal job you know make sure you're practicing getting good working up material feeling comfortable playing music and if you're already at that phase then you know go out and because i know i know for for myself for a long time i played music and i never booked a show i never booked a gig i never talked to a venue owner or someone and asked them you know point blank hey can will you pay me <laughs> will you book me or whatever it was always someone else in the band that was doing that and it was always kind of a mysterious thing and i have a lot of other people in bands that i see around that are in a similar level or a similar similar um you know approach and they they asked me a lot like oh how'd you get these gigs or where, where how you how'd you line up that tour or or whatever like can you send me some emails and right there i mean if someone asked me i'm gonna send them the emails to these people and i'm gonna say hey these guys do music and you know ask musicians that are already doing it and say hey where do you think would be a good place for me to play a gig and nine times out of 10, they'll tell you, they don't, they don't care. They're going to tell you where, where is good. And they're going to tell you where not to play. And they're going to tell you maybe how much you can charge and, and stuff like that. And then go around to your local places and find where the music is being played, where they're hiring musicians and start asking questions to talk to who, figure out who's doing it. Um, and, and start making, you know, even or even just go into a coffee shop for an open mic or something like that, somewhere where you can at least get in front of people and and feel comfortable doing that. You know, those were that's where everyone I, I feel like starts out or at least should, you know, you're not going to start out playing some big, big venues or whatever. Or, you know, another approach could be talking to friends in bands and getting an opening slot like, hey, can I come down to your show at so and so and do a little 30 minute opening set or something, you know, for no money? You know, those are those are great places to get started. But um, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to do it. Okay. Excellent advice. So practice, get some mentors and kind of get some information under your belt. And I know that's what I hear in any industry, not just as a musician. So now you're going to, you're going to speak to that discouraged, talented musician that has begun to make a living, but they're just kind of stuck, whether they're stuck finding gigs or they're stuck in their head and they can't get out of their own way or whatever. There's a lot of different ways we get stuck, but this person is stuck. They're thinking about giving up. How, what would you say to encourage them to at least stay the course one more day? I mean, with music and, and all that artistic stuff in general it's you, you really don't know what's around the corner you it could be just a little bit one more year that you need to press on or one new venue that you need to get into the right place or you know i i think that you know i'm not saying that oh you know one gig is going to change everything and you're going to be famous after one performance but hey you don't know that that could happen that does happen but in the more you know short term you know, just keep trying to do it. If you, if you love what you're doing and you, and you're doing a good job at it, and there's at least a handful of people that are seeing that, then, 
you're probably doing a good job and you need to just keep going and, and develop yourself a little bit more. And you never know what, what's around the corner and you don't know what kind of project. Maybe you just need to start a new project. Maybe you need to play with different people. Maybe you need to experiment with how you're, how you're approaching it. That doesn't mean give up. That means just, you know, experiment. That's what artists do. Well, there you have it, my friends. We promise that every episode will give you hope to stay the journey, um, encouragement, tidbits of wisdom from the experience of others that are going the way, but still growing. And so, Derek, thank you so much. You helped me to do that. You've been uh, an amazing guest. I knew it would be fun to interview my own son. Um, I knew I'd hear some things that I forgot, and maybe I helped you remember some things you forgot. Um, but we just want to change the world one gig at a time. So hopefully we're going to do that with this episode. Thank you again. And until next time, have a great day. Hey there, nine to five rebel. We are so grateful you chose to make time for yourself by listening in today. Be sure to tune in next week as Jesse delivers yet another dose of hope for your entrepreneurial spirit. If the rebel in you has been inspired today, Will you please subscribe or leave us a five-star review? Help us reach other 9 to 5 Rebels like yourself because the world definitely needs more people doing what they love for a living. And while you're at it, go ahead and share this episode with a friend. To learn more about your Beacon of Hope podcast host, Jessie Kretzer, just visit her website at jessiekretzer.com to subscribe to her blog, or you can connect with her directly on Facebook at Jessie Robison Kretzer, or Instagram at beacon of hope underscore JK.